The Ringer MLB Show is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the Ringer Podcast Network. Looking for a better way to bet on your favorite sports online? If you can dream it, you can probably bet it through FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel offers spreads, parlays, money lines, over-unders, props, and in-game bets all in an easy-to-use app. And there are more ways to cash out. When you win, you can receive your winnings in your bank account in as little as 48 hours through safe and secure processes. Check out FanDuel Sportsbook app today to experience sports betting the way it always should have been. FanDuel, more ways to win. 21 and over and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Indiana, or Colorado. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT or in Colorado, call 1-800-522-4700. Hello and welcome to the Ringer MLB show. My name is Michael Bauman and I am a staff writer at the Ringer. Joining me as always today, our Ringer staff writer, Zach Cran. Say hello, Zach. Hello. And Ringer staff writer and burgeoning video games journalist, Ben Lindbergh. Ben. Hello. And yes, that's right. I know you guys have been out of the loop for a while, but they're up to PlayStation 5 now. We had uh, we had to record a little bit later today because of some scheduling conflicts. Uh, one, and Major League Baseball is also talking about its postseason schedule. And Rob Manfred is also talking about making the current postseason schedule, which was originally pitched as an emergency um, measure permanent uh, on Monday night at a speech at Hofstra University. Uh, he said that there's a lot to commend a 16-team playoff. Uh, ben Lindbergh. What are your thoughts on this becoming the way of the future? I hate it. I couldn't hate it more. <laughs> I'm not surprised that this is happening or that it may be happening or that Rob Manfred wants it to happen, but there is very little to recommend this to me. I understood it for 2020, but I always had some reservations because I assumed that this would be a Trojan horse situation, that we would have this put in place for this season just to ensure that you didn't have any great teams fluking their way out of the playoffs in this short season. But I was worried that once it was there, it would be tough to do away with. And I'm fine with a permanent DH. I am varying degrees of okay with some of the other changes that we've seen this year. But the 16-team playoff format is anathema to me. I don't like how it devalues the regular season in favor of the postseason. It's such a huge leap from what we had before, which I think makes it pretty transparent that this is mostly about postseason revenue. It's not as if anyone was really calling for 16 teams. Maybe there were people saying, we could add a couple more. We could go with 12. But was any say, was anyone saying 10 is not enough? We should put more than half of the teams in the playoffs? I don't remember that being a common request or demand from baseball fans. And I don't really like how this changes the sport. We've talked about the incentives and what it does to team building. Zach went on a little rant about that in a previous episode. But really, I just don't like the fact that we are evidently sticking with 162 games for the foreseeable future. But we're also saying that those games just don't matter very much because more than half of those teams are going to make the playoffs and battle it out in a fluke fest regardless. Zach, Ben seems to have invoked something of a slippery slope argument. Uh, how are you clinging on to this rock face right now? Where are you at? I have slid all the way down. Oh, that's uh, disappointing. That's, as that's ben, very upsetting as, to hear. As Ben said, I, I went on a rant a couple weeks ago because I said, well, I understand 
the rationale for a 16-team postseason in 2020, I was very worried that this would be the method by which they expanded the playoffs permanently going forward. And I didn't even need to wait for the 2020 playoffs to actually begin. The playoffs haven't happened yet. We don't know how they're going to work. But Manfred and the owners that he represents already think that there is enough to commend the postseason structure in the future. I think Ben is right that this is a transparent financial ploy, but that's what the owners want. That's what Manfred wants. He said in a different interview earlier this summer that he thinks of himself as the CEO of baseball. And what is the CEO's job if not to make more money for the company? You know, other factors, other intangibles be darned. And I think in addition to all of the other reasons that we've discussed, both Ben just now and uh, on previous episodes of the podcast, what this shows is just just the transparency of it all. Just the idea that this isn't about competition or about increasing fan interest in and of itself. It's about adding more games to the playoff schedule. We'll talk about this year's playoff schedule in a moment, and it's going to be really fun, right? We're going to have eight playoff games in one or two days. We're going to have four playoff games every single day through the divisional series, and that's going to be fun. But I worry about what the other six months of the baseball season will do uh, if all of the intensity is going to be concentrated in those couple weeks in October. Uh, What does that leave for the rest of the season? Yeah, I think Rob Manfred is right about two things in in this whole discussion. One is that he's hanging a lot. He's putting a lot of stock in the excitement of those first couple days of the of of the baseball postseason where you're going to have eight games a day. And he thinks that's going to be exciting. He thinks that's going to make for great television. He thinks it's going to be gripping. I think he is 100 percent correct, because as as much as I quite unsurprisingly, I imagine uh dislike this idea it's going to make for some some good tv the wider costs are, are of of those couple of days of good tv are, are where this plan sort of loses me the other thing is zach was mentioning rob manfred thinking of himself as baseball ceo he is and i think fans understanding of the game and how it works and how rules like this get made suffer by thinking of the commissioner as something as a guardian for for the sport as like the czar of baseball in this Kennesaw Mountain Landis sepia tones, you know, wise old man in his office kind of thing. Like, I mean, we forget that Kennesaw Mountain Landis, while he was cleaning up gambling, was also ruthlessly enforcing segregation. So even that uh, type of commissioner is a mixed bag. But Rob Manfred is the owner's chief executive. He is their delegate to run baseball as they see fit. And this is an illustration of this because we're getting something that they can charge the the TV providers more for as they sell uh, playoff uh, TV broadcast rights without increasing salary. And that's huge. And we saw a 50-50 revenue split for postseason TV revenue get nixed by the owners. The MLBPA uh, proposed that while we were ramping up to start this season. And it devalues the regular season to the point where you just have to race to 500 the people who are going to get paid are superstars and that's about it. And it just, we saw this at the trade deadline when 16 teams are in it, it's a pretty sleepy trade deadline. I mean, this year was a, uh, a bit of an anomaly for more reasons than that, but the best player who got moved at the, the trade deadline, the closest thing we saw to a named player getting moved was Mike Clevenger. Then we saw 
Hall of Famers, borderline Hall of Famers in the prime of their career get moved at each of the past uh, three deadlines before this. And that's we're going to see less of an emphasis on mid-range free agents. So if this is going to happen, it's going to completely upset the entire economic balance of the sport. And something has to change, whether it's the minimum salary, whether it's arbitration, whether it's something farther up the chain in order for this to turn into anything but just a billion, multi-billion dollar cash grab for the owners at the expense of the players. And the one thing, and Eugene Friedman, the labor lawyer who's taught, who's very active on Twitter about um, baseball issues, uh, made this point earlier today. The owners made the mistake of proposing this, or Manfred, I guess, made the mistake of proposing this in public because now the players union knows that the owners want it. And I think if you talk to players, probably more of them than not would want to would want more chances of playing in the playoffs. Like they're they're not just in this to bump up their next quarter financials. They're in this to win the World Series and also make a lot of money. So this gives them a better chance of doing that. And so that would be attractive to a lot of players. Now when the CBA is negotiated. Uh, after the twenty one or the twenty twenty one season, we're gonna. This is something that the union can can now use. Is okay. You want the sixteen team playoff? Give us something else. We'll we'll see that as the negotiations play out. I think writers as a tendency. Uh, I think writers as a tendency lean toward hyperbole whenever there is a change to the game they grew up with, the game they love. I'm thinking about. The intentional walk rule, for instance, when it was made automatic and people were very concerned, but that doesn't really change the fundamental sport. But Mike, I think you're right that if a 16-team playoff structure is enacted, that does fundamentally change the sport. It changes how the trade deadline works. It changes how the offseason works. It changes how in-season works. Because if you're a team like the Dodgers, what's the point of pushing your young pitchers, you might leave them in the minors longer because you don't need, you know, Tony Gonsolin or Dustin May to come up and stabilize the rotation. Ben, I know you wrote an article, what, five or six years ago now about when the Dodgers might ever miss the playoffs. The Dodgers might actually never miss the playoffs uh, again if we move to this kind of structure. And yes, they haven't missed uh, 10-team playoffs in a while, but they've come close. Uh, just a couple years ago, they needed a tiebreaker on the last day of the season with the Colorado Rockies to win the division. And if they hadn't won that tiebreaker, they would have been forced into the wildcard game. And I think you will see just changes throughout the entire baseball calendar of how all strategy works. And I think that's a, a real concern in upsetting kind of the rhythm of, of the sport. This is a daily game. And I think that that's going to change if the playoffs are expanded. Yeah, I don't know if the owners showed their hand too early necessarily, because I think we knew this was their hand or what they wanted their hand to be, right? It's not a surprise that the owners want something that is going to maximize revenue and that they were in favor of this year. But it's true. We know they really, really want it. And I think it's fortunate that this is not a decision that Rob Manfred can make unilaterally. On the other hand, I think the players may want this in some ways, too. I mean, they're not going to just hand it over because it's a, a valuable chit here. And I think they're going to want to extract some concessions from the owners in order to agree to this. But it might mean more revenue for the players, too. It might mean more playoff appearances. I don't think we can assume that they would oppose it for the same reasons that we oppose it. In some ways, they may be more aligned with the owners than with us here. So 
I think there's a, a pretty decent chance that this happens. And, you know, I, I guess it, it could be like an anchoring effect, like talk about 16 team playoffs and maybe we'll actually just bump it up to bigger than 10, but not quite 16. Maybe it ends up in, at some intermediate stage. But I think it's just such a, a large leap that it really does destabilize things in ways that I'm not really comfortable with as a, a fan and someone who follows the sport. I, I know that other sports have survived and thrived with big playoff fields where you don't necessarily need to be a great team or a winning team even to make the playoffs. And part of me likes the fact that baseball has had high standards for what constitutes a playoff team. You have to have a pretty good season to get there. And I think the fact that there are 162 games in the baseball regular season, at least right now, makes it more imperative that the regular season means something, that there be some stakes there. I mean, people talk about it being a grind and a slog as it is. And if it's really not determining which good teams are going to be left out of the playoff picture, because every good team is going to be in the playoff picture and some really mediocre teams are going to be in it, then why are you tuning in other than just the fact that you want baseball on in the background? The stakes are going to be really almost immeasurable. And so I'm concerned about the incentives to team building, too. I think there are less reasons to get great if you're already good. You could say on the flip side, I suppose, that it's also, I guess, encourages you not being terrible, right? So if people are worried about tanking being a problem in baseball, which I feel has been a bit overblown, but because you can make the playoffs now without actually getting very good, maybe it convinces you not to be truly terrible. So I guess that's a possible upside, but I'm really reaching here. Yeah, I think that is a reach just because... The Mariners have a have a decent chance of making the playoffs this year. The the Tigers and Orioles are at least until about the the last week were right in the thick of things. I mean, the Marlins are if they're not a lock to make the playoffs at this point, they're pretty close. So I I think it I don't I don't know that it really disincentivizes the uh um bottoming out the the way that you might hope it would. Ben mentions that there are already large playoff fields in other sports. And you know what the worst part of the calendar is in a sport like the NBA is the two months before the playoffs start when it's pretty clear who like 14 of the 16 playoff teams are going to be. And they're just resting guys because they know they're going to be in the playoffs. And the difference between a two seed and a three seed doesn't really matter all that much. If that transports to the baseball calendar, the month of August is already kind of sleepy, you know, between the trade deadline and the, the stretch run in September. But at least we have the stretch run in September now, and that might very well go away. Yeah. And to mention the other team with the six or the other league with the 16 team playoff, I mean, the NHL, nobody pays attention to the NHL before like New Year's Day because they know that 16 teams are going to make the playoffs and like only nine of them are going to be worth a crap. And like, so it's, I just worry about the same thing transmuted over 162 games, you know, baseball on in the background. I think that is a big part of the sports charm. And it, from just from a, a practical perspective of, of a, of a world where you have MLB.tv and you have uh, streaming services to the, the romance of listening to the baseball, listening to baseball on a summer day on the radio, on the porch with iced tea and your Jack Russell Terrier or whatever. And you know, your William Faulkner novel existence, but the, it's it ought to be more than background noise. Is the point like the the standard for entertainment for regular season baseball 
ought to be more ought to be higher than the standard of entertainment for like flipper flop reruns because that's the other background noise TV that I I think about. So it's I don't know. It's it sucks, but it's probably going to be hap- it's probably going to happen because there's money to be made. That's the the driving narrative of of most of the uh changes to the the baseball rules book over the past 15 20 years. Should we talk about the different schedule for the 2020 postseason in particular oh. because this is wild uh, we will but but i forgot the the one quote from uh from manfred that i wanted to talk about uh, he wants to it's talking about having a bracket so we're going to have a bracket obviously people love brackets and love picking who's going to come through these brackets which that phrasing sounds vaguely trumpian i'm you know if you're speaking extemporaneously i'm not going to go too hard on him for that but this is an, an illustration of people seeing that like this is a this is either something billionaires or people who make their living managing billionaires make this mistake all the time they see that people like something and they don't understand why and so they just decide to move the thing over to the other to something else people don't love the bracket because in march madness because they love the bracket like it's it's a sui generis thing it's the the it's having all those games on in the background having the the tension and the randomness and being able to switch from channel to channel or sit at the sports bar which we might not be able to do by october 21 uh at this point or at this rate but it's the the moment to, it's the chaos that just goes from noon on on thursday to midnight on Friday with no stopping and baseball, even in a best of best of three series with eight games a day is not going to deliver that. And we're talking about the NHL. They revamped their playoff formula and to, to keep things within the division instead of reseeding uh, from round to round. And they say, Oh, people are going to fill out brackets and they've spent so much marketing energy trying to get people to fill out brackets. And you know what, you know what happens? Nobody fills out a bracket. Nobody cares. No, there are no pools. There are no like discussions about bracketology in the NHL anymore. It's it's just not big enough and it's not random enough. And I would frankly, I would be interested from a scientific perspective of, of seeing a form of baseball that is that big and random, but not at the expense of, you know, seasons of, of Major League Baseball. We've got nothing to replace it. Okay. As writers for TheRinger.com, I think we're contractually obligated not to badmouth brackets. I'm not badmouthing brackets. I <laughs> love a bracket. I'm just saying it's not going to work the way Rob Manfred seems to think it will. Okay, Zach, now we can talk about the playoff schedule. <laughs> so the other news this week that we actually know will be implemented and implemented as soon as like two weeks from now is we finally learned what the 2020 playoff structure is going to look like. There will be well, the the term they're using is bubbles. We can talk about whether they are actually bubbles because they seem rather permeable. Uh, but there will be, in the first round of the playoffs, the best of three series with 16 teams. Those will be hosted at the home ballpark of the higher seed. So the Tampa Bay Rays, for instance, will host a series, uh, assuming they finish uh, you know, first, second, or third in the American League, as they seem to be right now. So... After that first round, there will be series hosted in Texas and Southern California, uh, all leading up to the World Series held in Arlington at the Rangers' new ballpark. That is 
where the games are going to be, but how the games are going to be played, to me, is the more interesting strategic element here. Because since the teams will be playing the division series and the league championship series in these single ballparks, there is no need for travel days, which means in the division series, instead of the structure we're used to, where it's two games, then a day off, then two games, then another day off, and then a game five if necessary, it's just going to be five days in a row. And in the championship series, instead of days off for travel, it's just going to be seven games in a row, again, if necessary. And that completely changes how we've come to understand, particularly playoff strategy in the postseason. A team like the Nationals last year was able to use those off days strategically to get as many innings as possible from Scherzer and Strasburg, Corbin, Doolittle, and Hudson. Uh, A team like the Giants, when they made their run in 2014, was able to get more than a third of their postseason innings from Madison Bumgarner alone, again, from using those off days and short rests and starter relief appearances strategically. Basically, none of that is going to be possible next month. Yeah, and I'm sympathetic to the fact that obviously this has been a developing situation all summer long, but... The fact that we found out about this now, you know, with like two weeks to go before the playoffs started, really just kind of underscores how fly by night an operation this whole season has been (laughs) from the start. I mean, we found out what the playoff format would be, what, hours before the season started. And okay, at at that point, you've already built your team, so you're not going to change anything necessarily. But in this case, you actually might, right? And we had a trade deadline just a couple of weeks ago where teams had an opportunity to get their rosters ready for the playoffs. And at least according to Aaron Boone, who says that the Yankees were informed about this format this week, teams didn't know what the format would be when they were making those decisions. So they didn't know if they would need a fourth or fifth starter or how many bullpen arms they would really need to rely on in the playoffs. And so that really kind of, I think, undercuts the the competitive integrity here a little bit, adds to the asterisk factor of this whole endeavor. However, we're each kind of reaching that mental calculation of do we think this counts and how legitimate is it? I think this probably lowers the bar a little bit because there really are competitive implications here. So I understand it. I know how it happened, and there's no real reason to build in useless off days when you don't have any travel, but it does still really change how you deploy your players in the postseason. It changes strategy in a significant way, and I'm still kind of undecided on whether I think that's good or not, whether I like regular season baseball and postseason baseball being tactically aligned or whether I like the fact that there was a little bit of a difference and teams had to sort of flip the switch when October started and say, okay, we can now rely on certain pitchers, certain players more than we had to over the regular season. Yeah, I I do love the the starter who goes on short rest or the, the Bumgarner performance or the uh, Corey Kluber, Andrew Miller, 2016 kind of thing. Um, and I agree that this is completely unfair to the guys who are out here, the, the people who are building these teams uh, who had the trade deadline. Yeah. I, I can't imagine this thought had never occurred to them. Like they had to have some inkling, but this is the kind of thing, you know, what's the playoff format? What's the schedule going to be like? That's the kind of thing you want to know before it's too late to actually change your roster. So I, that that's an absolutely valid criticism. And I think that that's uh, GMs and, and managers are right to, to feel aggrieved if they, they do feel aggrieved. Uh, but really in the past 15 minutes or so, as I've been thinking about this, I I'm kind of into it. 
Like, I think that there's, if you're putting, particularly if you're putting people in, I mean, I guess we're going to call it a bubble if MLB is calling it a bubble, although like Zach said, it's not really worthy of the name. You want to get it over with as fast as possible. And also like baseball is so optimized and it's so thought through and everything is, is simulated. We've got wind tunnels and we've got, uh, you know, computer modeling and, and we've got, everything is just so large end. like, let's introduce a little chaos. Let's introduce a little anarchy into the baseball world. Uh, so like, I think this is weird. I think this is Ben used the, the phrase fly by night. Like that's exactly the, the right way to put it, but I kind of don't hate it. At least it, this is the season of steering into the bit. Right. And that's what, that's what the league is doing here. So I, I, I don't know. I'm interested, you know, we're, we're trying different stuff this year. So, so let's try this too. I, I've seen some people say that this is going to remove some strategy, and I don't think that's true. I think it'll just change the strategy somewhat. Uh, a game five, for instance, in the division series, normally you would just be able to start whoever started either game one or game two on regular rest in game five. Now you're either going to have to start your fifth starter or go back to your game one starter on short rest. A team like the White Sox, for instance, which did not add any pitchers at the trade deadline, probably because they didn't know this was coming. Now, if they get to a game five in the the DS, they're either going to have to go with Giolito on short rest or rely on someone like Ronaldo Lopez. And that is strategy, deciding which of those pitchers to choose. Also, you're not going to be able to rely on the same two or three relievers over and over again. At some point, they're going to burn out. They can't go five days in a row, seven days in a row. So it will require some more strategy about picking their spots optimally about do you push someone like Andrew Miller to a second inning when you might need him the next three days or something like that. So I think I don't mind the strategy aspect of it. And I also don't mind the idea that it forces you to rely on guys 18 through 28 on the roster as opposed to just the top. I think it actually in the future, there's probably no way to do this because hopefully we won't have a need for bubbles uh, the next postseason that travel will be possible, but I don't mind the idea of rewarding team depth. I think it's cool when the 12th and 13th pitchers on a roster actually matter and aren't just mop up guys. If you're up nine runs in the ninth inning of a playoff game. So from that aspect, I, I think it's actually cool and I'm excited to see what happens. I think in general, it's probably just going to increase offense in the playoffs and every year offensive performance goes down for obvious reason, right? It's, the better teams and the better pitchers on those teams who are throwing the majority of the innings in the postseason far more than they are in the regular season. But now if we see fewer opportunities for short rest, I think the possibility of a starting pitcher going in relief, like we've seen so many ace starters do in recent postseasons, that's probably going by the wayside outside of a a game seven scenario this year. So I think we're probably going to see higher scoring games, which isn't a terrible thing. I love a two to one pitchers duel more than anyone, but I think adding that variety to October isn't, uh, it's not bad for the spectator. Yeah. I like that it rewards depth and a well-rounded roster and that it makes it tougher to get away with being a top heavy team. Although that can be a plan, you know, you can decide to be a top heavy team and design your team around that strategy. And, And if you're good enough to get to the playoffs, that can work for you too. 
I do think, though, that as much as I like the idea of, okay, you can't just skip your fifth starter, you have to have a pretty good fifth starter, I don't know that anyone is necessarily tuning in to see the fifth starter. And so if this means that more of the innings are going to anonymous guys that no one is excited about seeing, and fewer of the innings are going to the aces that get everyone amped up, then maybe that's not so great. That's kind of both a bug and a feature of baseball, right? Is that you can't really decide who has the bat in his hands or who has the ball in his hands at any particular time. You're bound by the batting order. You're bound by a starting rotation. You're bound by some bullpen limitations. And on the one hand, there's an aspect of that that's kind of nice. You get unlikely heroes. You can't just win with one guy. On the other hand, it means that at the most exciting moments, you can't send your best players up there, the players who are the best advertisements for the sport. So while we might like to see the number 27 guy on the roster, I think maybe the the casual fan, the mainstream fan who's getting into baseball for the playoffs only might be more interested in seeing the big name guys. So I could see that as either a plus or a minus. Here's where Bauman gets to talk about why it's great that baseball is the most socialist of all the sports. <laughs> I mean, I, this is actually not the point I was going to make. I was going to say <laughs> we're still going to get some of those those uh, big name pitching matchups. Like I'm just looking at where the bracket stands right now. Like we'd get Bieber versus Giolito, we'd get Darvish versus Aaron Nola, we'd get Ryu versus uh, Tyler Glasnow or Charlie Morton. Like you'd see those pitcher pitchers tools, and you but uh, that wouldn't be the only thing. And I think the biggest advantage for me in terms of of getting more pitchers into it is not the fifth starter. It's taking the innings away from these absolute shutdown middle relievers. We've seen some teams with like bullpens you just can't score off of. And so we saw this with the, I don't know, the, those Giants teams were kind of like this. The, the Royals to a certain extent in 2015, you get to the sixth inning and it's just like, if the team that's trailing, you know, the teams that, that's trailing, you're just like, you're not going to uh, score off, off these guys. Whereas, you know, maybe we saw Will Harris get a little tired towards I mean, that might've swung the world series last year. We're going to see more of that. We're going to see more weaker pitchers in later innings and more offense. And I, I think that's going to mean more lead, more late lead changes. And uh, maybe I'm wrong. That's just my, my first blush impression. But I think, Zach's point about more offense because we're getting weaker pitchers into the game uh, has actually turned my love of this format from a bit into something I might actually believe. (laughs) Playoff games are already so long, though. More scoring will just mean even longer games. But I think another consideration is that because we have fewer off days, you don't get the time for the anticipation to build up and that drama that you get during the playoffs, which I enjoy. Like, it's going to be frantic and frenetic and adrenaline inducing in those early rounds when there are tons of teams playing. And if you have more teams in the playoffs and more playoff games, then you have to get them over with unless you want to play into November. So I get why you need to compress the schedule. But there is something to be said, I think, for just allowing these series a little time to breathe. You know, if it's tied, if the suspense is building, if one team is a a game away from elimination or from winning, and then you have to change cities, change ballparks, and you have time to analyze and break down what happened and look ahead to the next game and the next matchup. And I think I'm going to miss that a little bit. You know, it'll feel like it's all over almost immediately. You're going to have to learn how to write again. Which is what I'm getting at this. Like you're you're the yeah, you're definitely like the big picture uh, analyst out of the three of us instead of bloggers. 
pour one out for Ben Lindbergh. But we're <laughs> gonna. So Major League Baseball might might not be into taking a break in the middle of the playoff series, but we are into taking a break in the middle of the podcast. So we're gonna do that and come back uh, and preview some of the big series for this weekend. So uh, don't go anywhere. All right, we're back and we're in crunch time now, which means that every every single game is important, which we're we're going to take sort of a college football preview approach to this weekend's big series. You could throw out the records. We're going to take a look at at a couple of the, the series that could really impact the playoff picture going forward. Um, and I think Major League Baseball was really, really had a situation like this in mind when they put the Yankees and Red Sox against each other on the second to last weekend <laughs> of the season. <laughs> um, yeah, Jordan Montgomery, Gamecock legend going up against Martin Perez on Friday. Uh, now we're going to start with two teams that I think have a ton to gain this weekend. At least one of them has a ton to lose. That's the Phillies and the Blue Jays. Uh, the last time I was going to say the last time these two teams played each other, it was a doubleheader, a couple interesting games. And then I thought about these two teams playing each other and flashback to one of my first baseball memories, the 1993 World Series. So I'm going to need to take a minute to collect myself. But Zach, what should we look for with this series? I think from the Blue Jays perspective, they probably want to stay in second place in the American League East to the extent that seeding matters. They'll probably have an easier matchup there than if they fall to the AL seven or eight spots. Uh, They have a pretty tough schedule the rest of the way, a bunch of more games against the Yankees. So they probably need to win at least one of these uh, four games that they have on top. The Phillies need to qualify for the playoffs in the first place. They did not do so hot in their seven games in five days jaunt against the Marlins. They lost five of those games. So as we speak right now, they are still in the playoff picture uh, with a 24 and 23 record. But as we've discussed for a couple weeks now, the NL picture is so congested that that could change really quickly. If the Phillies say drop three out of these four games, they could be out of the playoff picture. And the Phillies end their their season with three games against Tampa. That is not an easy closing stretch if they lose any ground right now. Wow, I thought Zach was going to say John when he was talking about the Phillies. I realized I should have. He hasn't (laughs) spent that much time around me. I'm used to Bauman saying that, but it turned into John instead. Yeah, I agree. I I think Zach said to the extent that seeding matters, and it's just not a great extent. I mean, it's just really not. You don't get a buy. You don't get home field advantage, or if you do, it's probably meaningless in these circumstances. So. I'm just not all that excited about seeding, but I am excited about are you getting in or are you not getting in? And with the Phillies in particular, I mean, like the Blue Jays are a young, exciting team. They're kind of like the the AL equivalent of the Padres almost. They both have these young, exciting lineups and young, exciting position players. And now they have this rebuilt rotation. They're very high on the watchability list, but they're also just getting good again. And so this is really their first crack at making the playoffs after some years away, and they should have many more uh, cracks to make it. You know, in the AL East, you can't really count on anything, but they are well positioned to be back here. The Phillies, however, I think reputationally speaking, have a lot on the line here. And 
you know, I don't know how much 2020 is going to be held against any team or really chalked up in any team's favor. Maybe we'll all just end up writing off whatever does or doesn't happen. But I think in the Phillies case, I picked them as my flop team entering this year when we had to make predictions, mostly because it was still so uncertain that they would be a playoff team. You know, I didn't think they would be terrible, but the fact that they are not even close to playoff locks at this point in their competitive cycle when really based on their rebuild and how long it's been since they were last good, they should be in a much more secure position. They should be set up the way the Blue Jays are, or, you know, a couple of years ahead of where the Blue Jays are. And they just haven't been, they've been disappointing. They've been far from a lock to make the playoffs, let alone do any damage once they're there. So I think if they miss the playoffs again this year, I mean, there was already pressure on the Clentac regime, right? And the perception that this was taking too long. And so if they end up with a 500-ish season and miss the playoffs in a 16-team playoff format season... And then JT Riamuto walks as Sixto Sanchez is being called the best pitcher in baseball. Yeah. Right. You're looking at really uh, just a a massive black eye for that whole administration. Probably a new GM. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. yeah, The the one thing I'd add to this is uh, I think the Blue Jays are getting the Phillies at the right time because the way the rotations are set up right now, and this is subject to change, obviously, they're going to not only miss Nola, they're going to miss Wheeler too, and the Phillies rotation gets grim after that, particularly with Jake Arrieta uh, nursing a, an injury right now. Also nursing, nursing minor injuries, J2 Realmuto, uh, Reese Hoskins has screwed up his UCL in his non-throwing hand, so the Phillies are in the process, or not his hand, his elbow, but the Phillies are in the process of figuring out if he can Otani it through the last month of the season or whether he needs Tommy John. And so this is a a pretty banged up Phillies team right now at the worst possible time. And so we're, uh, you know, I I still think the Phillies have enough offensive talent to, uh, to definitely beat the Blue Jays in this series. And I, you know, for all the the pessimism, I still think they're in pretty solid position as far as making the playoffs go generally, but they get swept in the series. It's a completely different conversation. All right, next up, let's go over to central time and the twins and the Cubs. These are uh, the twins are right now in sort of a spread out three way battle for the AL central. The Cubs have pretty much locked up the, the NL central for, for their part though. Yeah, do do you know who, if the playoffs started today, the Twins would be playing in the first round of the playoffs? Uh, I'm looking at it right now. It's oh Christ! I didn't even think about this. <laughs> <sighs> who is it, Mike? It's the Yankees. I mean, of course it's the Yankees. <laughs> of course it's the Yankees. <laughs> so yes, right now the Twins uh, would be playing the Yankees in the first round of the playoffs. They could do a stealth tank if they want, you know, fall to the number seven seed and at least avoid their longtime nemesis. But actually, this is an exciting series. One, because the Twins are trying to chase down the White Sox, who currently lead them by a few games, but they play tonight. We don't know, obviously, the outcome as we record. They play again tomorrow. And the Twins also have a couple interesting pitching matchups this weekend. They have Barrios versus Darvish as the headliner on Sunday Night Baseball. Darvish going for a potential Cy Young. I, I wrote about that race this morning, and I think the NL Cy Young race is fascinating because you have so many guys separated by such small margins across a variety of statistics. Darvish is maybe a co-favorite with Jacob deGrom at this point. Uh, and then also on Friday night, you have 
maybe a, a baseball nerd favorite of Rich Hill versus Kyle Hendricks. Just a matchup of two guys who throw a lot of slow pitches but locate really well and are just fun to watch on the mound. So even if both of these teams are already in the playoffs, unlike, say, the Phillies or uh, one of the other teams we're going to talk about in this segment, I think this is a fun series between two teams that are are good but not great, and that's a, a kind of fun matchup. Yeah, I'm in favor of whatever has to happen to preserve that Yankees-Twins <laughs> first-round matchup. Not picking on Twins fans. It's not that I want them to lose to the Yankees every single year. In fact, I'd like them to throw off the yoke of Yankees oppression. I want them yeah, to get I'm sure another... <laughs> I want them to that get sounds another... really sincere. But... <laughs> <laughs> it's Zach is the active Yankee fan on this podcast. I am a, a lapsed and reformed Yankees fan. But just... Just in terms of storylines, right? In terms of just extra intrigue when there's that kind of history and baggage between two teams. I think that's fun for everyone. Not fun for Twins fans, or at least historically it hasn't been. But think of how sweet it would be if they do topple the Yankees and then move on from that. Because you have to exercise that demon if you're the Twins, right? Even if you move on, if you don't get the Yankees thing off your back, that's always going to be hanging over you. It's been like 20 years. They don't have to exercise anything. As far as like if it's going to be fun, I'm just thinking ahead to my editor, Meg Schuster, is a diehard Twins fan, and I'm not looking forward to like tiptoeing around the edges of that editorial relationship is if the, the Twins get swept again. Oh, boy. Uh, okay, let's go. At, at, least, at least this time, you know, a sweep would only be two losses instead of three. Maybe yeah. it reduces the blow a <laughs> you bit. Know, I think you should tell Meg that. <laughs> That's a uh, all right. Let's go. To the Reds and the White Sox. These the Reds are are in this again. Like they they sort of went to sleep and came right back roaring into the playoff picture. If the Phillies end up missing the playoffs, it could be very it could very well be the the Reds taking this series and, and leapfrogging them. Yeah, I feel for the Reds, really, because I, I think they've had sort of lousy luck these last couple seasons. I think they were a better team than their record indicated last year. I think they've been a little bit better than their record has indicated this year. And they're one of the teams that has really been trying in kind of one of the the more obvious and attention-getting ways. They really went for it this past offseason. They restocked, and they've turned themselves from a, a terrible pitching team, maybe the, the worst pitching team in the league, to one of the best pitching teams in the league. They did a lot to try to restock their lineup, and a lot of those players just didn't deliver the way that they'd hoped earlier in the season, but they have come on sort of strong lately, and I think it's just a more talented team than they've shown and so I'd like them to find a way to sneak in, I guess, to to reward the effort that they devoted to getting here and the fact that I think they are a pretty solid team. Like if, if they don't end up making it, then I would look at them possibly as one of the victims of this small sample season because I think they would have a, a better chance over the full year. And it's a tough assignment, obviously, because uh, no one can really beat the White Sox right now. I'm curious kind of how good the White Sox are. Right now, they are a combined 21-3 and against the Tigers, Royals, and Pirates, and they are below 500 against all other teams. And obviously, it's easier to beat the Tigers and Royals than it is the Twins and the Cubs and teams like that. But there is, I think, some question, given that the White Sox haven't been in the playoffs before and just that they're the one seed right now, but they've really just beaten up on the dregs of the Central this year. So I think 
they're closing stretch where they've already beaten the, the Twins twice in a row, and then they go to Cincinnati, they go to Cleveland, they host the Cubs. I think even if they're kind of just situating themselves for the playoffs and making sure their rotation is lined up as best they want it, this will give us an indication as to whether the White Sox are really a team to to fear in the AL playoff picture. The AL field is kind of upside down. The teams we expected to win the divisions are the Yankees, the Twins, Houston. They're all in second place right now. And first place is the upstarts. But at least Tampa and Oakland have made the playoffs before. We haven't seen the White Sox do anything on this level. So I think this will be a fun series to see kind of as the playoffs approach. Are they rounding into that form? Yeah, my one complaint about this series is we're not seeing any of the heavyweight pitching matchups, but even that has a, so like there's Giolito's not going, uh, Keuchel's coming back from the aisle, but he's not scheduled to pitch. I think Bauer's slated to, to pitch on Sunday, but we're not getting Castillo. But even that has an upside, which is we're going to see some of these young White Sox pitchers that, uh, that you guys were alluding to as maybe being a weak spot if there are no off days. Dane Dunning is going to go. Ronaldo Lopez, I mean, I guess he's sort of a known quantity at this point, but Dylan Cease is an interesting, an interesting guy where the peripherals don't really match the stuff, but the results don't really match the peripherals. And so he's uh, put up just a very strange, confusing statistical season. We'll see if, if he, if he's able to square that uh, before the, uh, the regular season wraps up, but definitely the, some of the guys in the back end of this white Sox rotation bear watching. I think Dunning is a guy I've been high on since he was at Florida, um, but I didn't think he, was going to end up being as good as he's been the first couple starts. So, uh, but we'll see what he can do against this this vaunted Cincinnati offensive of like aging Joey Votto and, and company. Uh, the last one we want to take a look at is the Mariners and the Padres, and this is I don't know, it's sort of like a West Coast hipster matchup that inv- it's it's sort of the same as the the Reds White Sox, but in reverse, where you've got one team that's really putting its stamp on a playoff position versus another team that's sort of been hanging around the end of the playoff, the edge of the playoff picture. And, uh, you know, they're going to, this is going to be a tough ask for the Mariners, but if they can take two out of three or even uh, sweep the series, they're right back in it. Like the Astros are going to feel them breathing down their necks if they're not already. It's the Vetter cup. Isn't there like an Eddie Vetter thing with these two cities? I thought Eddie Vetter play in interleague occasionally. I thought Eddie Vetter was a Cubs guy. Maybe that's, I don't know. I just Maybe Googled that's the, it. Yes. The, it the Vetter Cup between the heated rivalry of the Mariners and Padres. And when has it ever mattered more than right now? But I, uh, actually, yeah. I think in the American League, the one remaining question is who grabs that second spot in the AL West. And right now, the Astros are only two games clear of the Mariners. They play again next week. And. I don't know. I did not expect that series to mean anything when the season began. I didn't expect that series to mean anything halfway through the season. The Mariners were eight and nineteen, but since then they're fourteen and seven, and they've made it a race again. They have a tough schedule the rest of the way. They play the Padres, then Houston, then Oakland, but stay in it uh, through this weekend, and they kind of control their own destiny in that series against Houston. There's also still the potential for the Padres to overtake the Dodgers, which doesn't really matter all that much, but would be kind of a cool accomplishment <laughs> just for bragging rights. NL West, uh, king of the division. Those two teams are playing each other as we speak. And this weekend, we've just covered where the Padres are going. The Dodgers are playing the Rockies. 
it would be something if the Padres were able to to take that and end up with the best record in the National League. I know that the Dodgers haven't necessarily been going all out to try to have the best record in the league. They've been kind of playing for the playoffs, which makes sense. But still, I mean, you know, I think we all expected the Padres to be on the ascent and Zach certainly believed in them as much as anyone. But just the fact that they still have a chance to pass the the Dodgers is pretty impressive at this point. Sorry, I was trying to figure out when what connection Eddie Vedder has to San Diego. I did I did stumble across the connection I had in my mind. They share a spring training complex, which is down the road from I think the only in and out burger I've ever eaten at in my life. Uh, so the, uh, the pure in and out series. Um, okay. We're going to take one more short break and then we're going to come back with the unnamed playoff odds segment. And we're back and we obviously can't leave without doing everybody's favorite part of the show. The unnamed playoff odds segment. And the number one top mover since last week, we ha- uh, mentioned this uh, when uh, or mentioned that they took five out of seven from the Phillies. Oh boy. Um, it's the Miami Marlins who are up 36.1% in, uh, in playoff odds since last week. Zach, explain this. Sixto Sanchez is the real deal. That is uh, my conclusion from this weekend. He had a complete game victory. Of course, that comes with a caveat that it was only seven innings because it was part of a doubleheader, but he was dominant. And I think it was telling that even as the the last inning went underway, he got into some trouble. There was traffic on the bases, but they didn't replace him. They didn't put in their closer. They trusted him to finish it off, and he did. And he, assuming the Marlins make it, which they are more than 80% favorites to do at this point, according to Fangraphs, uh, he is going to start game one of the playoffs and he, he could put a real scare in whether it's the Dodgers or the Cubs or Atlanta. Uh, he's already beaten Atlanta once this year. Uh, and it would be really fun to see the Marlins go up one to zero in a best of three on the backs of Sixto Sanchez. Also worth noting, the Marlins have never in franchise history lost a playoff series. They've made the playoffs twice and they won the World Series both times. So all they need to, you know, we say, oh, all you need to do is get in and then who knows what could happen. But with the Marlins, we actually do know what will happen. They'll win the World Series. Yeah, when we spoke last week and we each picked a long shot team that we thought had a chance to make the playoffs, the Giants were the Mr. Chalk pick that I went with because they had the highest playoff odds at that point. And the Marlins were not. But now because of this week, and I'm jumping ahead a little here, but the Giants were the biggest losers of this past week. While the Marlins were gaining 36 percentage points, the Giants were losing 21. And now the Marlins have leapfrogged the chaos Giants who have not been quite chaotic enough or at least not in the right direction for their sake. So the Giants' odds are are looking a little longer right now, and the Marlins are looking like pretty solid bets to make the playoffs after having been trade deadline buyers who saw this coming. Since you mentioned uh, last week's segment, I, I almost forgot to put this in the show. The third team we mentioned, the Detroit Tigers, uh, lost five of their next six games by scores including 19-0, 12-2, and 14-0. So uh, I think maybe maybe we might pilot this for next season. Um, 
we'll do like a please jinx my team segment where we're like we uh we threaten to uh talk about um teams we want to jinx because yikes don't um, forget that even though the marlins ended up having a good week right after we recorded they allowed 29 runs to atlanta right I feel like we would have heard if that was a completely original score in Major League Baseball history, but it feels it like we don't. It was okay. I was going to say, it, baseball, you don't really get a lot of twenty-nine to nine games. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think I saw that rare. it was the first baseball uh, scoreigami you know, yeah. since like the nineties, right? Yeah, I saw it was the first one uh, of this century. How about that? Uh, here's another team that. Uh, is unique in its ability to uh, to take losses. The second biggest mover for good or ill is the Mets, who are down 19.3 percentage points. And uh, as of this week, might have a new owner soon. It seems like they are... <laughs> they, I don't know. This might be the most Mets thing of all, that they are getting rid of the Wilpons in exchange for an even more odious uh, owner. But for now, it doesn't seem to have done much for their playoff hopes. It's exchanging the, the Ponzi scheme billionaires for the insider trading billionaires. <laughs> At least it's the, I don't know, the the billionaires you know in this case are uh, billionaires that Mets fans are sick of. And at that point, I guess anyone is an upgrade. And at least he's uh, an even bigger billionaire than they are. So I, I don't know. I was going to say, even he... <laughs> At least he was on the right side of his criminal enterprise. Like, not only did like the Mets got caught up in a Ponzi scheme and lost money, you know, Steve Cohen would make money for him anyway. Yeah, it's, uh, it could really change the complexion of the Mets. What would we do without Mets discourse? I mean, even if uh, it's it remains to be seen whether Cohen will turn this into a, a great team or start spending much more money. But even if he stopped, say, misspelling the GM's name in press releases, <laughs> that sort of like Metsy way to just make the, the most Mets outcome of any situation. If that stopped, uh, part, of we, part of me would miss it. I'm sure producer Bobby would not miss it and most Mets fans would not miss it. But it's been kind of a constant in our go entire out on a limb adult and say lives. He probably won't have to miss it, at least not for the foreseeable future. <laughs> Maybe not. But the Will Punts have been a, a staple and a punching bag for as long as I can remember being a baseball fan. So it'll be a change. But as for the Mets on the field, I said I felt for the Reds for being a little unlucky earlier in this episode. And you could make the case that the Mets are actually the most snake-bitten team of the season. In fact, I think Mark Craig did make that case in an article for The Athletic this year. But if you look at the base run standings at Fangraphs that just look at a team's underlying performance and how good they quote-unquote deserve to be, the Mets' base runs record right now is 28 and 20 as we speak. Their actual record is 21 and 27. So they are seven games worse than base runs think they should be. And no other team can compete with that in either direction. No team is further off from its supposed deserved record than the Mets are. So I picked them as my surprise team because I thought they might actually surprise and be pretty good. But no, they have been predictably disappointing, at least on the surface. But if you dig a little deeper, they have been a, a pretty good team in some ways. And so there is still some chance for them to salvage this. Yeah, One way they have been good is Michael Conforto is having an absolutely incredible season. When in the middle of his his and Aaron Judge's rookie year, I wrote a which one would you rather have? And I came down and I said... It's close, but I'd rather have Conforto, and I was proved wrong. And I think the pendulum is swinging the other way, my friends. I think I'm right about that again. 
uh, Conforto is hitting 341, 427, 559 right now, as opposed to Aaron Judge, who is hitting nothing. Um, so we're going to the one of the other big fallers is the Phillies. We talked about them pretty extensively. The last team on our list is a riser that we haven't really talked about a lot except to make jokes. Uh, and that's the other New York team, the Yankees, who are up 8.5 percentage points. You say Aaron Judge hit, is hitting nothing, but he's back in the lineup tonight. Uh, Giancarlo Stanton and Gio Urshela both returned last night, and I think that kind of makes the Yankees more whole again. They still could use another pitcher or two. Uh, James Paxton, unfortunately, still on the shelf, but otherwise, uh, they're rounding back into form. They swept the Orioles in a, a strangely important series over the weekend. They beat Toronto, uh, scoring 20 runs in the series opener last night uh, to move, at least for the moment, back into second place in the AL East. And as we mentioned, to end up back where fate has preordained they will end the season, matched up in the first round with the Minnesota Twins. Yeah, the Yankees kind of killed that can the Yankees miss the playoffs conversation shortly after we had it on last week's episode because they went on a run and they did it against the Orioles and they just kind of put that whole debate to bed. But they, like the Dodgers, I think have been more focused on the long term and focused on the playoffs and getting guys healthy than sweating every series. And so it does seem as if they are rounding into form as the playoffs are starting, although it really remains to be seen how long they can keep those guys in the lineup together. I mean, the Yankees with Judge and Stanton together in that lineup are really formidable, but over the past couple of years, it's a, a distinct minority of games that both of those guys have actually been available. So they have to keep them healthy for the next couple of weeks before the playoffs start, which has been a, no pun intended, tall order when it comes to both of those guys. Womp, womp. Oh, I think you intended that. I didn't intend it, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I was never really that worried. As much as we podcasted and I wrote about how the Yankees were in trouble, I never really thought they were in that much trouble. I think they're comfortably in that four to five spot right now. They'll ride it out without James Paxton. And speaking of things I'm right about again, Justice Sheffield is pitching really well in Seattle right now. Um, okay. I think that that pretty much covers it. Um, By the way, Eddie Vedder went to high school in San Diego and, did he? Uh, and he kind of had his uh, musical awakening in San Diego was in some local bands. So just wanted to mention that because I think our East coast and Midwest bias was showing. All right, uh, that'll do it for this week's edition of the Ringer MLB Show. Uh, thanks to Zach and Ben. Thanks to Bobby Wagner for producing today's episode. Thanks to Sixto Sanchez and Eddie Vetter for giving us stuff to talk about. And thank you for listening. Enjoy the week's action, and we'll see you next time.